Occupy Wall Street was mm-hmm. like a really big thing when I was in college. Okay. And that also, I feel like, was a turning point in how the term wokeness was being used and being characterized. Now, see, when I was in school, woke was still exclusively black. It hadn't left the community yet. Mm-hmm. Whoever left the gate open and let like the white person <laughs> into the party and use woke, and then the white person's like, holy shit, what does that mean? and then just let it spread, that hadn't happened yet. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Stuck with Damon Young, the show where we stay woke because we're insomniacs. We literally do not sleep over here. We might need some ambient. And so the word woke has become like this galvanizing linguistic firebrand where People on the right consider it to be the bane of American culture. People on the left consider it to be aspirational. And black people, well, we just put it on the list of words we just don't use anymore because white people ruin them. And there's no better example of this absurdity than Bethany Mandel's now viral effort to define woke while on camera. A clip that was like watching woke paint dry. Anyway, To talk about the history of that word and also the long history of the racist dog whistle, I'm joined by Simone Polanin, host of the Spotify original podcast, Not Past It. And then Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay of the Ringer's Higher Learner podcast come through with some heated answers to a question about airplane etiquette. All right, y'all. Let's get it. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Life is full of awesome what-ifs. And some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Simone Polanin is the host of the Spotify original podcast, Not Past It. And Simone, <laughs> woke was a word that was a part of my lexicon back when I was in college. And over the past like 15, 20 years, it has undergone all these transformations and new meanings. And now it it, it is one of my least favorite words. It, it's, it, it's one of those words, almost like twerk, where I can't use it anymore because white people ruined it. <laughs> right? And so when was the first time that you heard it? That is a very good question. Do I even remember? I feel like it's it's a t- oh, that's a tough one because I just feel like it's something that mm-hmm. was existing in the ether. Like I'm I'm trying to think if there was like a specific moment. Well, you don't have to give me like an exact date or time. <laughs> <laughs> October 21st. Yes, I was at lunch. And I mean, (laughs) it it could be just a range or high school, college, or or again, it could be a term that just was always, as you were saying, just floating around, just always a part of zeitgeist. I think it was something that I was generally floating around in the ether. But I think when it was more clearly defined for me as its own concept, I was probably more college-aged. When I would hear the term like thrown around more, more 
uh, casually, like among peers and stuff. Okay. And so when you heard it, what did it mean? Being woke was sort of synonymous with being politically conscious or like socially aware, mm-hmm. Aw- like a, an awareness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess my introduction to woke is kind of similar where I think I first remember encountering it, not necessarily in college, but maybe a little bit before college. Mm. And I'm thinking of, it might have even been like junior, senior high school around that time because I'm 44, okay? So that means I'm of the age when like spoken word poetry, deaf poetry, Mm. neo-soul, when I was a teenager in the early 20s, those were like some of the zeitgeist driving forces where you had deaf poetry on TV. And so being conscious mm. was a currency at that time, a currency among Black people. And woke at that point didn't necessarily just mean conscious. It meant at that point conscious to the point of parody. Mm. So like conscious was good. Woke was an exaggerated, almost performative consciousness. And again, this was how I understood it. Mm-hmm. My definition might have been a bit off. But when I heard woke use in this time, and we're talking like late 90s, early aughts, that's what it meant to me. Interesting. Hearing you say that, actually, now that I think back on it, I'm like my understanding or my own personal definition of wokeness eventually evolved to be that. Like, I think when I first encountered it, it was very much in like this earnest definition of of being aware. And I think Mm -hmm. it was had a positive connotation. But by the end of college, I think it had gotten to the point where wokeness essentially meant like a a performative awareness. And it was more about, yeah, the performance of seeming aware or the performance of using the right kind of language or like Mm -hmm. being in touch with the right kind of social issues. But I think part of that, too, is because I think the term woke was initially being used among, you know, the Black students at the college. And then by the end of that four years was sort of used more broadly, like used more broadly in the sense of it was used by more people, but it was also used less specifically, if that makes sense. If you don't mind me asking around what time frame are you talking when you refer to college? So I was in college from 2010 to 2014. Okay. So like Occupy Wall Street was Mm -hmm. like a really big thing when I was in college. Okay. And that also I feel like was a turning point in how the term wokeness was being used and being characterized. Now see, when I was in school, woke was still exclusively Black. It hadn't left the community yet. Mm -hmm. Whoever left the gate open and let like the white person (laughs) into the party and use woke and then the white person's like, holy shit, what does that mean? And then just let it spread into the mainstream. That hadn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. Like the doors were still locked, padlocked. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So so that, (laughs) I guess the watering down of wokeness didn't necessarily happen yet. Mm. And again, I'm thinking of like examples of when I think of woke or who characterized it best. And have you ever seen Don't Be a Menace, the South Central while drinking your juice in the hood? Uh, Unfortunately, I have not. Okay. Well, there's a character in that movie who is like the most Afrocentric, most extreme God body sister queen (laughs) person on earth. 
but he is exclusively into white women. Oh my God. The mother of Mecca is right here before me. Do my eyes not deceive me or am I looking at the goddess Isis herself? Can you, uh, can you do me a favor, my brown skin, ain't you? Can you tap that white girl for me? My milk of magnesia. Oh, oh, after the devil made you, he broke the mold. Well, maybe you and I could, uh, make a little jungle fever. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so and so woke again at that point of time when I thought of woke I thought of people like that who again the consciousness was performative right but again I don't know if my understanding of the term is universal and you know I, I did a little bit of research on the term and it originated around like the Vietnam War mm. where Black soldiers would say this to each other, and it was a way of them saying, you know what, stay awake, stay vigilant, stay aware, because even though some of these soldiers, some of these American soldiers are, quote unquote, on the same team as you, they might not have your back. Mm -hmm. You might get some, quote unquote, friendly fire Hmm. sometimes. Mm. So stay woke. It may have, you know, existed even before then, but... What I read is that woke kind of the genesis came from that. And so it makes sense. And so to see it today, you know, 2023 as one, a dog whistle for black. Also, though, just uh, almost like an umbrella term to articulate everything that people on the right aren't able to articulate about their anxiety about the 21st century and about progress. And again, it's become mm-hmm. this nebulous catch-all that could be anything that they want it to be. Right. Yeah. I hadn't heard the specific um, connection to the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. but that makes a lot of sense. I was doing some research for this conversation, and the context that I saw it pop up in, there were a couple of different places. One was like this article from the 60s in the New York Times from this writer William Melvin Kelly, mm-hmm. who's like a, a novelist, he uses woke in the title of this article. And it's essentially writing about how the beatniks of the 60s were co-opting language from Black circles. And I don't know, there's this similar like conversation around like the diluting or the watering down or the the shifting of 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 language like terms like dig it like mm-hmm. dig it becoming sort of more mainstream and and hearing people walking out of the opera talking about like using like uh, you know as a as an interjection and it's it's just it's interesting to see these like patterns and in, in culture doesn't surprise me to 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 hear you bring that up Yeah, and language evolves, and there are some terms that enter the cultural lexicon, and then there are some terms that are grandfathered out. Like, for instance, when we refer to people who hate women or who have, like, this antagonism towards women, we say misogynist. We might say sexist, but 20 years ago, 25 years ago, people said chauvinistic. People just don't use that term anymore. But if you watch a movie from, like, the 90s, 
And there's like a guy who's like a player who, you know, does this, does that. He's referred to as a male chauvinistic pig. But that, again, that term just isn't really a part of our discourse anymore. You know, we've replaced it with something that is actually a lot more direct, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right, and intentional. Another term that has kind of escaped the zeitgeist is ghetto, which I'm glad about because I've never liked that word. And again, this is another term that has shifted the meaning because, you know, if you go back decades, it referred to neighborhoods that Jewish people were basically shuttered into by the Germans, by the Nazis. And then it became a term that was synonymous for inner city. Mm-hmm. And then it shifted again and it became a term synonymous for places in an inner city where black people lived. And then ghetto became a word to describe a certain type of black person. Right. But like, it doesn't even sound right coming out of my mouth (laughs) right now. I feel like I'm speaking a different language when I say it. But again, this was a term that even 15, 20 years ago, I feel like was still a part of the general cultural lexicon. And it's not really Mm -hmm. anymore. I I can't think of anyone who says it unironically in just regular discourse now. And woke seems to have had like a similar sort of journey. And now, did you see the interview with Bethany Mandel, where she's this conservative commentator who was being interviewed by Brianna Joy Gray? Yeah, yeah. And Brianna asked her to define woke. Uh huh. And probably fewer of them consider themselves to be woke. And so, you know, when when what, we what talk does about that mean traditional, to you? Like, could, could, would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple times, and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that um, I, this is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. Yep. I'm so happy she asked that question too, because that is, that is usually the first (laughs) thing I'm like, before we jump into this conversation, can we define our terms? But yeah, yeah. Yes. She sounded like a car that hasn't been turned on for about two years. (laughs) And it's the coldest day of the year. And you decide to go outside and turn this car on. Like she sounded like that engine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just sputtering, <laughs> smoking, blurting. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that I have been there before. Not a racist who was trying to define woke, but I've been in a live interview where I'm trying to think of a word and I just go blank. Right. So I get that part of it. But I think that one of the things that made the interview so such a part of, I guess, our cultural experience, you know, the reason why it's gone viral is because I think it's just been indicative of like this nebulousness of this conversation. You're asking them to define this term and they can't define it because they've made it intentionally indefinable, intentionally something that could be a bunch of different things Mm -hmm. so that anything that they feel a way about can fit underneath this umbrella. Yeah, I'd even go as far as to say, like, it's both been made very nebulous, but at the same time, it's also been made out to be its own, like, organized ideology. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it's like, this is an organized group of people and they are a threat. And, right, the nebulousness kind of serves that argument because then you can launch that against pretty much anything and anyone. Because if you don't have a definition, then 
you know, whatever you don't approve of can fall under that umbrella. (laughs) It's interesting that we're having this conversation about language evolving and being diluted and, and its definition being stretched, like wokeness is being painted as the enemy of language and mm-hmm. and like a manipulator of language. And the conversation is so convoluted and so devoid of nuance that, I mean, frankly, I personally have like tuned out a lot of the conversation because it's like, it's so frustrating. None of these words are like anchored in anything concrete. And there's like this constant moving target. And I don't know. To me, it seems very easy to drum up this atmosphere of fear and threat Mm -hmm. because it's this like shadowy, shapeless thing. So, yeah, again, I appreciate I appreciate like this effort to actually define what it is that we're talking about, because um, Mm -hmm. that feels like it's at the core of what is so frustrating about like how wokeness essentially doesn't mean anything right now. Like it's it's so devoid of any substance. It reminds me of, I have a few friends who are conspiracy theorists. Mm, Okay. Fun. (laughs) And when you talk to them about the things that they feel like are grand conspiracies, they have an answer to everything. It's this circular logic sort of thing where everything that you say, there's a ready-made pushback for it. Or even if you prove to them without any sliver of the doubt that what they're saying, what they believe is wrong, then they can always come back with, well, where'd you get that? Or that's what they want you to believe. Mm-hmm. Or you've been brainwashed, you're a sheep, et cetera, et cetera. And they've constructed like this foolproof you know, fortress, a cocoon around their belief. And it's impenetrable, right? And I see the same thing happening with the right in that term where, too, and I'm glad you brought this up, about how there also is this idea that we on the left or whatever are organized, right, have like this intricate agenda to wokeify (laughs) everything, whatever the fuck that means. You know what I mean? But there are so many things that exist that we just don't, we don't have a consensus about anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We don't have a consensus on whether or not skinny jeans are still in. They're not. <laughs> right. They never were. <laughs> there was a window from like 2014 to 2018, I think, where they were in. But anyway, again, a point of disagreement. <laughs> there we go. So we can't even agree on this. <laughs> so... This idea that there is a, I don't know, this weaponized conspiracy that we're all aligned, that we're all marching, you know, to the beat of the same drum. And again, I I wonder too, actually, I don't even wonder. I know that this is also a bad faith sort of thing where one of the strategies for them to galvanize their people, their base, whatever, is to act as if we are galvanized. Mm-hmm. The act is if we are organized to a T and it's like, you know what, they're doing it. They have it. And so if we don't get this way, if we don't rally around, if we don't start banning all these books, if we don't make sure that critical race theory is out of our schools, if we don't rid our curriculums and our discourse and our lexicon and our, our politics of wokeness, then the entire country is going to be Venezuela. Yeah, it's one plus one equals two, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so 
woke, you know, I mentioned this earlier, woke has also become a dog whistle for black. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that that's one of the clearest and least nebulous, I guess, interpretations of what they think woke means. You know, and there have been times, I forgot which politician, one of the, the especially evil ones was talking about the Super Bowl and how woke the performances were at the Super Bowl. And they're like, no, you're just talking about how black the performances were. Wokeness had literally nothing to do with Cheryl Lee Ralph singing the Black National Anthem. That is you being upset about the presence of blackness we didn't expect black people to be. And so just thinking about woke and thinking about how to become a dog whistle for black has made me think about some of the, I guess, the historical and present day dog whistles that also indicate the presence of black people or ways of saying black without actually saying black. Urban. A classic, yeah. It was one. Uh-huh. Classic. Inner city. Mm-hmm. Obviously. At risk. Mm. Mm-hmm. Low income. Thug. Welfare recipient or dependent. Any out of context reference to Chicago. <laughs> uh, drug dealer. Mm-hmm. But not drug addict. Not drug addict, but drug dealer. Mm. Single parent. Renter, underprivileged, underserved, affirmative action. Oh. And affirmative action is a tricky one because we know mm. that the demographic who has benefited the most from affirmative action is white women, actually. And when we think of affirmative action, particularly like in a, in a college admissions context, it is always, you know, the black student from the hood whose grades weren't as good as a white student, but got into the school. And that's like where all the focus is. is. And no one, or at least this conversation, doesn't account for the Nebo babies, Mm -hmm. doesn't account for the legacies, doesn't account for the athletes, right? And I'm not talking football, basketball, but like rugby, lacrosse, tennis, you know, the sports, you know, most of the sports on campus are are predominantly white. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. It's just that the revenue generating sports at the biggest schools are mostly black. And those are the ones that people focus on when they think of student athlete. But most student athletes in the country are white. Yeah. Marginalized, ghetto, hip hop, <laughs> sketchy. The neighborhood is sketchy. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Is Janky on your list? I would throw that one in the Jank- mix. Janky is not on the list, but Janky could be. Where I grew up, it was used as a euphemism for sure oh was janky okay <laughs> and sketchy sketchy is a funny one because if you take it literally then it's like what is this neighborhood just out of focus <laughs> does everyone all of a sudden develop cataracts man <laughs> and they are it's impressionistic <laughs> is everyone in this neighborhood just like this amorphous blob that was just sketched together like impre- would say impressionistic <laughs> like what is sketchy what does that even fucking mean? That's good, good points. Right. Fair points you raise. Um, gang related, diverse people, diverse population, mm-hmm. <laughs> vulnerable, those people, they, them. The list goes on. I mean, are there any, you know, you mentioned janky or any others that I'm that I'm forgetting? Oh gosh. Yeah, that's a pretty I mean, that's a pretty solid list. I'm trying to think. Like, um, The things that are coming to mind are more like questions people ask, like uh, Mm -hmm. about your culture. So tell me about your culture, like that kind of stuff. 
I don't know if I have any other ones, but affirmative action. Oh. That one hits home. That one definitely had a lot of like, uh, I remember applying to colleges and that being a conversation that I never started, but seemed to be happening a lot uh, in my direction. Mm. Low information voter is another one. Oh, man. Because again, it was a way of suggesting that we're stupid. <laughs> right. Basically, that's what it was saying, that when black people vote or, you know, we are ill-equipped to make the proper decisions. And so we are low information voters hmm. because if we had more information, if we were smarter, if we were able to understand complex and nuanced topics at a higher level, then we would make different choices, mm-hmm. obviously. Did you say underprivileged already? I did say I think I did, did say, say underprivileged. That. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of all the work. I'm like, I grew up in the Bay Area, which is like where they make well-meaning liberals. And I'm like, mm-hmm. just trying to think of all the words that I would hear. I feel like I've just blacked out all of these words from my memory. I don't know. I'm not coming up with any. You know, some of the ones that I named are basically the same word with like two or three letters changed. I mean, underserved, underprivileged. Mm-hmm. disenfranchised, marginalized. I mean, you go to a definition and look at, you know, synonyms, those those words are are all saying the exact same thing, disenfranchised, right? There is, a, I guess, a long and robust history of, like, euphemisms for Blackness because there was a point in time where, yeah, you could call a politician or people in polite society could openly refer to us as niggers, could say that. And then... That wasn't cool anymore. You couldn't win elections. You couldn't keep your job by saying that. And so you referred to us just as black people and things you didn't want to see black people do. And you were openly racist, but you didn't say the N-word. And then it got to a point where, you know what, we can't necessarily be openly racist. So what can we say to indicate the presence of black people without actually saying black people? And you could go back to Reagan the Willie Horton thing and the the welfare queens. Mm-hmm. Even Clinton, you know, has some stuff with the, what was it, the super predators. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the list goes on and on and on about just the ways that we've been indicated without actually saying us. And woke is just the latest iteration of it. Yeah. Five years from now, there's going to be another word. Woke is going to escape the zeitgeist just like how ghetto did. And there's going to be another word. Do you have any predictions? Any predictions? What the new euphemism is going to be? Silk pillowcase users. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Man, this is, like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this exercise. <laughs> like, um, did you say minority as a part of your list earlier? I might have. I think I did oh, say damn. minority, yeah. Okay, shit. Okay, never mind. It was a robust list. It was a thorough list. I think I, I think I got most of them. <laughs> it was, it was. But now we're trying to predict. Former Black Planet users. I'm like trying to think. <laughs> um, do you have any before I, before I say something I regret? I don't know. Wakanda residents, Beyonce fans, mm. Black Air Force One wearers. <laughs> Family members of Patrick Beverly. I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Beehive. Beehive is an organized group. Like that is, <laughs> that may be the next one. Simone, 
Thank you for joining us today. Where can people find you? Yes, thank you for having me. You can find me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Simone Polanin. And if you happen to be in Pittsburgh this Saturday, March 25th, I'm going to be giving a talk at Carnegie Mellon TEDx CMU. I'm sure if you Google that, you'll find the details, but March 25th at Carnegie Mellon. I'll be there. Okay, you'll be in the Berg. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks again, Simone. Yeah, thank you. Up next is Damon Hates. The section of the show where I talk about shit that I hate because I hate a lot of shit. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ah. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Okay. I have slowly accepted the fact that I will never dunk a basketball on a 10-foot rim again. And this isn't a rant about that. I am not complaining about that. This is the circle of life. Things change at a certain point. Things evolve. I'm still useful on a basketball court. My game has evolved. I can still shoot. I can still handle. I can't guard anyone. I don't play any defense, but I play smart team defense. I can't stop a good player but I could get that good player back when I have the ball. So again, I know my value and my value isn't in the catching alley-oops anymore. So that's that. So I'm not upset about the fact that I can't dunk anymore. I'm a little upset, but not upset enough to rant about it. What I'm upset about is the fact that no one told me that my last dunk was going to be my last dunk. Like I don't even remember when my last dunk was. I know that it happened maybe 10 or 11 years ago, but I don't remember. Like, if I would have known that my last dunk was going to be my last dunk, I would have gotten a cake. I would have gotten a video camera crew. I would have invited my friends and family. And also, each one of my exes, including the ones who knew me when I could still dunk, just to show them that I still have it, I would have invited the mayor. I didn't even fuck with the mayor of Pittsburgh at that time, but I would have invited him to the park if I would have known it was my last dunk. And I feel like whenever we have a monumental, that like the last time 
that something like this happens, there should be something like a register or whatever that lets you know, like, you know what? This will be the last time that you ski. This will be the last time that you're able to eat a whole pizza pie in one setting. This will be the last time you're able to drink 15 shots at one time at the bar. And this will be the last time that you dunk a basketball. I don't ask for a whole lot. I'm a simple man, just trying to do the best that I can. But someone, please invent this, so the next person who is having this anxiety can have it. So coming up next, Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay of the Ringers Highland podcast come through for Dear Damon with some questions, or an answer, some answers to a question about airplane seating etiquette. Van, what we got this week? So we have the question here. All right. It says, this is what it says. It says, hi, Damon. I was on a flight a few weeks ago, a long flight from Boston to Austin. And a woman seated behind me asked if I could switch seats with her so she could sit next to her boyfriend. I had a window seat and he was to my right. This person says, I considered it for 0000000.5 seconds before telling her, no, thank you. Maybe I would have considered it if she was in a window seat, but she was in an aisle seat, okay? I went back to checking my email and I could feel her staring daggers at me. He didn't really seem to care, but the woman was apparently very mad. Whatever, she says. And then a few moments later, a flight attendant asked me the same question. Apparently, the woman got his attention and asked him to ask me. She went over her head (laughs) to the flight attendant. Same answer she gave. The question that this person is asking you is, Hmm. was I in the wrong here? I mean, the easy answer is fuck no. <laughs> Hell the fuck no. If I want to add another word to it, two more words. I mean, yeah. right, this is just me, right? So flying, I've been on hundreds of planes right now, but I've never gotten used to flying. It is an anxiety-inducing experience for me. I do not enjoy the process of being in the air. I'm like a halfway Christian, and I still say five Hail Marys before the flight goes up. I'm always intoxicated, whether through pills. And by, I mean, like... All right, we'll get you some help. Pills, <laughs> alcohol, sleep deprivation. Like the night before, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to sleep, so I can sleep on this flight. And I always, you know, I always make sure I either get a window seat. And if I'm able to get first class, I get first class because I need that space to sprawl. I need the space to stretch out. I'm 6'2". I got long legs. I need, I need space. And so for someone... After I've gone through all of that, to ask me to switch my motherfucking seat. No, I, I just feel like if if this was a thing and I, I have empathy for people who might have got separated by their by their separated from their girlfriend their husband their kids, their grandma, their mima, concubine, whatever. Separated. They're on a plane. It's not it's the not border. The border. You're going to be. You're, yeah, like you'll be straight. You'll be straight, <laughs> straight like for like two hours. You'll be straight. You know what I mean? And so I, this was a conversation, you know, I, I feel like that went viral sometime last year. And um, I even wrote about it 
And um, yeah, it's no, I'm not giving up my seat. And you you shouldn't feel like a bad person if you refuse to get off your seat because you pay for this shit. And maybe you had the same reasons, the same anxieties, the same neuroses, the same physical constraints. I got arthritis in my knee. No, I'm not sitting in a fucking aisle with my left fucked up ass knee that I had ACL surgery on in 1998. You know what I mean? No, that ain't happening. Rach? I'm mean on a plane. We know this. Yeah. I, I, like, I, yes, it was on TikTok. Unless, unless it's an equivalent seat, I'm not moving. Unless it's a child under the age of 10, I'm not moving. Is That's it. A big, it. Ch- is it a big child? Like, is it like, yeah. is it like 10. a 10? 10 and under. Is that I'm normal, not a normal size nine year old? Because if it's like a six two nine year old, then he's just going to have to grow up fast. This is this has happened to me multiple times, and I've looked them straight in the eye, and I've said, "Absolutely not." Your daughter, and I put my 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 AirPods back in, and I keep it moving. So here's the thing with me. This is my thing. I've asked people to switch seats with me. Why? So I could sit next to the window. Okay, but let me tell you what. let, Let let me tell you why I am a regular American that understands life. I don't just ask people to do something out of the kindness of their hearts. Mm-hmm. What I say to people is, hey, I couldn't get a window a seat at the end of the at the end of the thing. I'm a big guy, I would like to sit by the window, lay my shit so I could sleep. I'm just like you. By the way, I tell people, hey, fifty dollars for the window seat right now. I would still tell you now. I'll tell people, hey, sixty dollars for the window seat. If you want to switch seats with somebody, how about make it worth their while? How about, hey, we we in prison now. Yo, can I have your chips? You know what I'm saying? Like, buy me a ginger ale. Like, if, Has if that you, worked? If, by the way, when I've offered hard cash money for someone to switch a seat with me, it is almost always effective. Yo, I got 50. I got in first 60. class? In first Obviously, you're not going to switch seats in first class. This was back in the other days. It's not in first class. First class, every seat is good. What I'm saying is, if you're going to do that, just do it. Make it worth the person's while, right? Make it worth their while. If you're going to ask somebody to be less comfortable so you can be more comfortable, there has to be a trade-off. That's a little cash. If not, I feel like you're trying to play me. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like you're telling me that your experience is more important than my experience. I am. And that I should move <laughs> so that you can be more comfortable. So like if 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 you ask me for something and there's nothing in it for me, that's not the way things work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I agree that. with you. I, I mean, I agree to a point because like my my parents and I used to play a game because everybody got a price. And the game would be, you know, <laughs> how much would it take for you to walk butt naked to the corner store? And yeah. to do her $50, no, $100, no, $2,000. My dad would probably say yes at that point, at that point. Like $2,000 <laughs> was usually like his, like his limit where he would do anything. And so I'm saying right now that I would, I still would not move my seat if you offered me cash, but there's a, there's always a number, you know what I mean? There's always a number mm. someone could reach. And so. Yeah, if you want to do a thing like that and you want to change the seats and you're not offering an upgrade, then yeah, you need to offer some coal. And, and it needs to be cash. It can't be like cash app. Nah. Like I need to feel the actual physical tactile <laughs> money in my hand. Yeah. Like I need it, I need the visceral experience of, of you passing me the cash 
me holding it in my hand and me putting it in my wallet in order for me to to make that decision. So bring cash with you. But the thing is, we're expecting niggas who didn't plan ahead enough to to plan out their seats to also (laughs) bring cash in anticipation of having to switch the seats. So these are niggas who don't plan ahead already. (laughs) You know what I mean? So so I feel like it's it's almost like a moot point at this point. Can I ask both of y'all a question? Both of y'all said, you alluded to it, you said it, Damon, that you get anxiety on a plane and you want to sit by the window. I, I want to say, I, I, I actually, he he yeah, he did. I actually I, get yeah. more anxiety sitting next to the window, knowing I'm that close to the outside. I like to be tucked into the middle in case something happens. I don't even want to talk about this. I, I, like, I'm oh, sorry, oh, I, thought, oh, I just oh, find oh, that so very like, interesting. It gives I don't me anxiety talk to, about if nothing happens, it, it don't happen. I don't want to, it's not. We don't, don't have to talk about nothing yeah. happens. I just want to understand the logic because I get concerned. I like to, I like to watch the wing. That gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> that I, I am. Go ahead, Jamie. I, um, Sorry. I sleep. So I put the wind, I put the, sh- I put the shade down. I, and I use gotcha. that as like, I put my coat or the pillow or whatever and I go to sleep. Yeah. And I also, you know, I, I slobber sometimes. You know, I sleep with my mouth open. And so you don't want me sleeping between people and just got a random nigga slobbering on you. So it's better for everyone if I'm sitting next to the window so that whatever comes out of my mouth will just drip on the windowsill. <laughs> shout, shout, out, shout out to COVID. Shout out to the <laughs> Again, I just want to thank everybody uh, for coming through again this week. Thank you to Simone Palanen, host of Not Past It, a Spotify original podcast. Also want to give a shout out to Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay from Higher Learning in their very special Dear Damon segment. And again, subscribe, listen for free, Stuck with Damon Young, only on Spotify. And also, if you have any questions about anything etiquette-based, Kyrie Irving-based, relationship-based, whatever, hit me up at DearDamon at Crooked.com. All right, y'all. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. Our executive producers are Kendra James and Sandy Gerard. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and mastering from Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Gimlet and Spotify, our executive producers are Crystal Halls-Dressler, Matt Schiltz, Lauren Silverman, and Neil Drumming. Gimlet's managing director is Nicole Beamshabor. Also, special thanks to Leslie Guang. Follow and subscribe to Stuck on Spotify. Tap the follow button and hit the bell icon to be notified when a new episode drops.